that was the whole idea that Venmo or any routine job for that matter asks us to build a fence around our deepest desires, our loftiest hopes that dare us to pursue them. I was angry at the rule that says in order to have a good life, you have to sacrifice your 20s, 30s, even 40s doing the shitty work that allows you to enjoy life later. I was angry that I was spending the best eight hours of my day indoors staring at a screen instead of having the freedom to do what I wanted to do. And I was angry that I was growing older by the second. 20 months is a long time to sit at a desk drowning in data, especially when you have something you need to say. And I needed to say so much about my family, about people, about the world. I wanted to showcase the things that were important to me and to learn about the things I hadn't yet discovered. I desperately wanted to be heard and it burned me up that something as pointless as scrolling through endless columns of numbers and crunching them to bits was keeping me from doing that. But being angry about your life is a good thing, I realized, because it means you apparently love something else much, much more, even if you don't know yet what that something is. So the way I figured it, if I quit Venmo and traveled the world, if I took a great big breath and threw the dice on this crazy bet that I could hunt down and capture that something else, then maybe I'd be less angry. I told my plans to Ikram Magdan Ismail. He was Venmo's co-founder and the guy who'd originally hired me. So I thought I should let him know. He'd already left Venmo by then, but we had stayed in touch. He was thrilled for me. In fact, he'd been encouraging me all along to follow my dreams. There are bigger and better things for you than staying in a job you don't want. He had told me, you don't get friends much better than that. So I cleaned out my desk, turned in my badge, and walked out the door. I don't recall exactly when the idea for Nas Daily was born. That's because it wasn't an aha moment, some divine crystallization of thought when the sun broke through the clouds and the concept suddenly popped into my head. It was more like a slow burn, a gradual dawning as I pieced together all of the bits of knowledge and experience I'd gathered in my previous endeavors. The Rubik's Cube project had trained me in the art of speed travel, how to jump from country to country, instantly connect with the culture, or at least try to, and share it all on video. The Downtime app had taught me how to look for and deliver content that was precise and colorful, and more important, could be condensed into 60 seconds. My business studies at Harvard had instructed me how to reconcile the limitlessness of imagination with the cold, hard reality of budget. And my upbringing in Israel had given me the most valuable lesson of all, that no matter what story you're trying to tell, it's all about the people, always. When I look back at the very first Nas Daily video I posted in April 2016, I have mixed feelings. Part of me cringes at my wide-eyed optimism and innocent enthusiasm, as if I considered this whole thing a lark, some harmless two-month getaway that promised one video postcard a day and not much else. I have no clue why I'm doing this, I told the camera, but I think it'll be fun. Once a day, I'm going to make one video that is one minute long. Share Come this with if me you can, guys. One drone, and, um, one heavy camera, one follow GoPro, me if you want to hear other keys, nourishing audiobooks in the future. Uh, excerpts. But on deeper reflection, I'm going to be on here I for another the honesty of that moment 20 minutes or so. The fact is, I really, really, really didn't know what to expect. And I think by lowering the bar that way, I was leaving myself the this space to fail as many times as I needed to. Created one. What they call in business school. 60 second video. 
every day for one thousand days. In other words, I knew there he was traveling. He went to sixty-four countries. My nonchalance, notwithstanding, I did have a few made stories about people that I intended to stick to. Top and their towns that they live in to making videos that were no longer than sixty cool. seconds. As both a creator this is the and book about that. He wrote a book about content, it. I knew that excessive length is a death sentence for any video. Even footage of a tornado ripping across a wheat field gets boring after ten minutes. So I laid down the law. With rare exception, if I couldn't say it in a minute, I wouldn't say it at all. And my signature tagline, that's one minute, see you tomorrow, grew out of that. Equally important was my decision to post one video a day. Not only did I know that any good product requires that kind of dedication and consistency, but I also knew that by keeping to that strict daily regimen, my work would get better. I based this theory on that old story about a university professor who teaches a class about productivity by having the students make a vase. You have to listen to this. The professor divides the class into two groups and tells group A to create as many vases as possible within the allotted 45 minutes and tells group B to make just one vase, but it has to be perfect. Now, which group do you think makes the better vase? Well, it's group A, because they had the most practice. That's why I had to make videos daily. Some days I didn't feel like picking up the camera at all. Other days I dove right in and came up with 60 seconds of shit. Everything is about process. And the only way I was going to become a better video maker and a better storyteller was by staying true to my 24 seven schedule. Calling the show Nas Daily was also central to my concept for the series. I'd been given the nickname Nas six years earlier when my freshman college roommate couldn't be bothered to pronounce my real name properly. Nasire is too hard to remember, he said. So from now on, you're Nas, like the rapper. That pissed me off. He had no idea, of course, that in Arabic, Al-Nas means people. Yet the nickname stuck. So it was only fitting that I adopted that name for the series, but not just as a gimmick. It ran deeper than that. From day one, I genuinely wanted viewers to see themselves, their own humanity, their own al-nas through my eyes. Sure, I was the narrator of this epic travelogue, so naturally my videos couldn't help but reflect my interests, my opinions, my curiosities, my passion. But if I was going to stay true to my guiding principle for the series, to make every day count, to live the best possible life, and to share it all on Facebook, I needed to make sure the people on the other side of the camera would be inspired to think about how they, too, could live their own best possible lives. This took some time to get right. In the beginning, my videos focused too heavily on places. A random restaurant in Ethiopia, an underwhelming waterfall in India, and to be honest, that wasn't going to cut it. It's just not interesting enough. If I wanted my videos to have meaning, I couldn't simply post a clip of me getting coffee on a nice beach. That is just vlogging, and I'm not a vlogger. I knew I had to connect with viewers in a more personal way. On day 52, I got a faint glimmer of that kind of connection. I was in Nepal, having just returned from a seven-day trip to the Himalayas, and I stopped in Kathmandu to grab footage of the wreckage there. 
Only 13 months earlier, in 2015, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake had struck the central part of the country, flattening entire villages, killing nearly 9,000 people, injuring more than 22,000, and leaving hundreds of thousands homeless. Some of the more sorrowful damage befell Kathmandu Durbar Square, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, where several temples had collapsed. I milled through the square, capturing the images of the destruction with minimal commentary, allowing the devastating pictures to speak for themselves. When I posted the segment on Facebook that evening, one of the first viewer comments came from someone named Nopakorn Raja, home country unknown, who wrote simply, so heartbreaking, I hope you get well soon, Nepal. Next to the post was a little emoji of an angel. It wasn't a particularly interesting comment, it certainly wasn't wordy, but I instantly knew that somewhere on this planet a person had been moved by what I had shared. He'd connected with a story, he'd felt something, anything, and because he'd felt something, he was compelled to communicate his compassion to those who were suffering. It's hard to believe, but that meant a lot to me. Now, if only I could do that every day. If I have one reservation about telling the story of Nas Daily in book form, it is that words alone cannot do justice to the exquisite artistry of my closest collaborator, my drone. It wasn't until day four of Nas Daily that I first launched my DJI Phantom 2 quadcopter from a suburban soccer field in Nairobi, Kenya, and the images she sent back from that maiden flight were fairly boring. But she was just getting warmed up. In the ensuing 1,000 days, my drone would take to the skies of nearly 50 countries on six continents, instantly flinging back startling portraits of whatever slice of earth she had her expert eye trained on. From the electric blue splendor of Italy's Amalfi Coast to the sparkling steel majesty of downtown Singapore. As with most electronics, the more I used her, the better we both got at delivering the goods. I launched her above the sprawls of the Shinye Business District in Taipei, and her renderings of the skyscraper horizon were magnificent. I sent her into the choppy air above San Francisco Bay on a long, slow loop around Alcatraz Island, at one and a half miles, her longest flight yet, and she returned home safely, out of breath, but triumphant. In fact, I was so confident of her skills that on day 153, I pitted her against an Audi R8 sports car in a race through the Swiss countryside, and she got her butt kicked. During the first two years of NAS Daily, I replaced my drone 12 times, either when a newer and better model became available or when I trashed my existing one. The latter happened a lot. One slammed into a tree on a camping trip in Romania, another met her fate in Manhattan when I tied a pizza box to her tail like a kite, and still another bought the farm in Greece when I accidentally superglued her battery to her. Oh, and a fourth one was attacked by a pit bull. But the greatest enemy of drones is not the weather or the terrain or even the fools who fly them. It's the governments that forbid them from doing their thing. Air bans were all too common during my Nas daily travels. Morocco hates the little buggers, as do India, Turkey, and Japan, and the authorities around the Himalayas definitely have a problem with them. You have two options, a uniform guard told me as I was about to begin my hike to Annapurna Base Camp. You deposit your camera here and you go, or you keep your camera and you go out. I lost that battle. I'd be less than honest if I didn't mention that on several occasions throughout the series, I bent the law to get the shot whether it was sneaking in a fast flight or piloting the drone above permissible limits. And I am lucky to have eluded jail. 
though I did get detained three hours for unlawful droning in India. That said, there was one location where I voluntarily abstained from droning, the Syrian border. I may be an outlaw, but I'm not that stupid. So for all the trouble drones can stir up and the expense they incur, why did I insist that a drone accompany me for nearly three years of daily travel? Because the world is more meaningful from above. From the ground level, Balikasag Island in the Philippines is lovely but ordinary. From 1,300 feet above, it's a spell-binding perfect oval. That beach I visited in Costa Rica seemed like nothing special, until the drone revealed that it's shaped exactly like a whale's tail. Standard footage of New Zealand's 74 million sheep is typically wall-to-wall wool, but with a drone, you see a flock as if God were the shepherd. But most important, the right aerials unveil for the viewer that very picture of our humanity and sometimes inhumanity. A bird's eye clip of a slum just across the alley from a luxury resort in Bangkok speaks to us about the shame of income inequality. An overhead shot of modern day Hiroshima drives home just how much damage was wrought when the atomic bomb was dropped on the city in 1945. And though we know that far too many Syrian refugees risk death every day as they escape the horror of war over treacherous waters to try to reach Europe, their real numbers are brought into heartbreaking relief when you see thousands of their life vests from above stacked high on a secluded mountaintop in Greece. If story is king, I told my viewers, which it most definitely is, then drone footage is queen. A few words about this book. When I was approached in January 2018 with the idea of creating a book version of Nas Daily, my response was three words long. Sure, but how? I shoot so unless publishers you could figure out Hi, a way can you to hear me? embed tiny video screens into the pages. Yeah. Of I have a question. Magic yeah, of Nas Daily up? between two covers. But then I remembered what the series is. Uh, what are you talking about? Humanity. I joined oh, it. The camera work in the world was to top that, this those is, are um, the things that reach the heart of Nas Daily viewers it's every a book day, and those called, are the stories uh, Around the World count. in 60 Seconds. With that decided, all that was left to figure oh, okay. out was it's how an to audio book. exercise not all that different from sitting in front of my laptop and cobbling together sure. a Nas Daily video. Do we make a book a travelogue, a personal diary, or God forbid, a guidebook? And even more pressing was the question of which adventures to tell you about. Nas Daily spent more than a thousand days on the road, so we knew we had some serious picking and choosing to do. That's when we settled on the idea of compiling for you the most powerful things I learned while traveling the globe. Because the fact is, no matter where I went, from the sunny beaches of the Maldives to the moonlit forests up, of Papua New Guinea, I Deepa, always Deepa. walked away with some new lesson, some day. unexpected insight tucked into my travel bag. I may be 15 years older than that shy young boy cruising the, the internet. The title of the cast is the Northern name Israel, of the audiobook. But I still want to learn something new uh, every It's a great day. audiobook. Nas Daily gave me that opportunity. He, and I'm uh, so honored to share those lessons with you. He traveled 1,000 days to 64 countries every single day. day I called did not miss Nas one day stories. in 1,000 days to post a one-minute video about we picked the best of the best to experience. share with you here. Additionally, many Wherever times during my travels, something prompted me to pause for reflection. Sometimes you look it up was Nas, an off-camera and like Nancy, A like Apple, other times it S was like Sam, Nas Daily, 
on Facebook, you'll see his uh, page, and he has thousands or more videos. Because the way I see it, a moment is different from a minute, even if it takes you just 60 seconds to say it. The stories you're about to hear have no predictable order or rigid chronology that would take the fun away. For me, travel has never been about the planned destination, but rather the exhilaration of not knowing what's going to come your way. So I thought I would keep you guessing too. And the truth is, life is a lot more fun when you're kept guessing. As I write these words, I'm sitting on a plane headed from the Maldives to Israel. I shot my final video for Nas Daily a few weeks ago, and all I know about the coming days is where I'll be staying. What happens next remains a sweet mystery. But this I do know. I will be among friends, most of whom I've never met. This is perhaps the greatest gift of Nas Daily. I'm now greeted by new friends in every city I travel to. When I was still shooting the series, 500 to 1,000 people would show up just to say hello. Now they spot me in the street and ask to take a selfie with me, which I'm always honored to do. Who would have thought? It's such a wonderful rush to arrive in a city and instantly feel like a local, to feel like you belong everywhere in the world. My journey began as one guy with a plane ticket and ended up as a 12 million person celebration. This is my story. Before we begin, over the course of a thousand days, I was often asked to explain a few details about the series. Here are a handful of the most commonly asked questions. Think of this as a pre-boarding procedure. One, why do you post your videos on Facebook instead of YouTube? Well, the answer is because it's a better platform for what I do. For one thing, Facebook is a community of real people, unlike on YouTube where you're not real. Don't believe me? Ask Saddam Hussein. That's actually someone's username on YouTube. On Facebook, I can make real friends, meet locals, create better videos, get jobs, and even find love. Also, 85% of YouTube views are from just 9% of its users. Most of them bored teenagers, and a lot of them bullies. That's not the connection I was trying to make. Additionally, on YouTube, the concept of messaging doesn't exist. It's mostly a one-way street where creators are the cool people and viewers are a degree below them, just consuming their content. Rarely do I see dialogue, interactions, or meetups. It's just someone talking, not a conversation. Facebook, on the other hand, mastered the art of messaging, and collaborations happened because of that. When I was on the road with Nas Daily, I didn't travel with 50 models and a film crew, so I needed people. Locals. Consequently, whenever I arrived in a new city, all I had to do was share a picture and write, I just landed, let's all meet tomorrow at noon. The next day, 100 people would show up. It was a beautiful thing that I could only do on Facebook. Don't get me wrong, YouTube piano tutorials are one of the reasons I got into Harvard, but I don't make tutorial videos. Two, how can you afford to travel so much? The answer is this. It was different at the beginning because I was on a strict budget. Although I had savings from working two years in New York City, I'm basically a very cheap person, and I applied that cheapness to my travel. No fancy hotels for $200 a night when a $10 a night hostel is just fine. I also never splurged on lavish meals or clothes, and I definitely stayed away from Paris, which is crazy expensive. Ethiopia, India, Nepal, Nigeria, they're just as beautiful as Paris, if not more so, and they don't break your bank. After about a year, when my subscriber base crossed into the millions, I started getting freebies from companies, airlines, hotels, tourism organizations, that were eager for the promotion, and I gratefully tagged them in the comment section on Facebook. 
but none of that required me to change the content of the videos that remain sacred to me. What's priceless and always will be is the freedom to go to a random new country, find locals and make friends. That's something you just can't buy. Three, what does your t-shirt mean? That's a complicated one. On day 200, I decided to celebrate that milestone by making a commitment to wearing the same t-shirt every day. One that explained the core philosophy of Nas Daily. To make it interesting, Matt was involved. I realized at age 24 and eight months, I was actually 32.4% old. Once you factored in the average life expectancy of a male in the United States, which is 76.3 years. Being almost one third done with my life was a pretty sobering statistic for me personally, but rather than ignore it, I decided to wear it on my chest as a constant reminder of the preciousness of life and how we choose to use that time. No way in hell was I going to spend 10 years, 13% in a job I didn't like, or even two years, 3% in a relationship with someone I didn't love. Every single percentage of your life matters. My friends, Daniel Prosky and Candice Rogati came up with a design for the tea, and I loved it at first sight. It was thrilling to see real artists turn the thoughts that were swirling in my head into the perfect wash and dry, permanent press expression of my feelings. Four, why don't you ever visit my country? <sighs> well, if you're in an Arab country, it's because I'm not allowed. As an Israeli citizen with an Israeli passport, I'm banned from visiting the majority of the Arab world. 10% of the planet, even though I am an Arab myself. It's pure politics and frankly, it's ridiculous. The visa process is also insane. At one point during the run of Nas Daily, I wanted to visit Australia, but at the time the government rejected my visa application because according to them, I didn't have a job, even though visiting their country was the job. It took me four tries over the course of one year to convince them I'd be a courteous guest and then, of course, there was at the time I tried to book a flight from New York to India on Kuwait Airways. But again, because I'm an Israeli, the entire airline was forbidden from taking me on its planes, even if I wasn't going to Kuwait. I fumed about that for weeks. There was one country I managed to visit, even though Israelis are banned from it. It took a little planning, but we pulled it off. You'll hear about that a little later. So trust me, I would love to come to your country wherever you are, but if I'm not there, in all likelihood, it's because of where my mother chose to give birth to me. Five, in all your travels, what's been your favorite country so far? It depends on when you ask me. On day 157, it was Ethiopia for its rich cultures and mind-blowing nature. On day 680, it was Morocco for its sheer beauty from the meticulously detailed architecture to the stunning food presentation. But the real answer is no country is my favorite country. I was born a Palestinian and lived in Israel, so I never really had a strong connection to any nation or state. I moved to the United States not because it's the best country on the planet, but because it's the best for what I wanted to do, tech. So as a rule, I tend to be a little wary of people who put their own country above the rest. History tells us that this often leads to discrimination and war. That's why Nas Daily celebrates the cultures that thrive around the world and not just random geographical borders drawn by some king or politician centuries before we were born. Six, did you ever miss a day of Nas Daily? 
Never, not once, not even an afternoon. After two and a half years, I'm sure I would have been excused for calling in sick one day or taking the weekend off. But I stuck to my promise. Even when I had the flu, even when I was sleeping in the Amazon with no Wi-Fi, even when I was in transit on some 24-hour travel day, which happened all the time. I like to wear this accomplishment as a badge of honor, but in reality, there's an equally good argument that this is just unhealthy. Seven, who is that smart, funny, and beautiful woman who hangs out with you in many of your videos? Well, 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 I'm glad you asked. I had never planned to make Nas Daily a joint venture. I've always been kind of independent. And when I set out on this oddball mission, I assumed I'd be traveling solo. I assumed wrong. On day 58, I launched a video from Jerusalem and almost immediately viewers began posting their comments. Among the reactions was one that read, hey, I love Jerusalem too. Let's explore it together one day. I clicked on this stranger's Facebook profile and found her alluring. We exchanged a few messages and I took her up on her offer of friendship. Three days later, she joined my family and me in Araba on camera as we celebrated the end of our Ramadan fast. She appeared in the next three videos and seven weeks later, I joined her on a trip to Greece where we toured the islands together with her cousins. Then came Italy, Turkey and Jordan, the Azores and Portugal, Brazil and Malta and many more world locations in between. That Aline Tamir became an important part of Nas Daily was completely unexpected. But that didn't stop us from living our relationship out loud, on camera and in real time. We announced publicly that we were dating, day 445. And 11 months later, even asked our viewers if we should marry. They said yes, she said no. You'll hear about Aline in these pages as she wove her story, our story, into the very fabric of Nas Daily. I'm not very good at writing about romance, so permit me to frame my feelings this way. In May 2017, Aline and I traveled to Madagascar together, where we spent 15 hours driving to a remote location outside Morondava for the singular purpose of seeing the legendary Baobao trees, a rare and sacred species of a tree that is steadily, sadly, vanishing from the face of the earth. Most of the Baobabs we saw that day stood tall and lonely in the arid soil, except for two of them that had grown entwined, hugging each other for centuries in the middle of a dying forest. Whenever I watch that footage, I am reminded of why I embarked on this marvelous journey in the first place and whose irreplaceable company I have cherished most. Nas moment, the world's most sensitive topics. In life, they say there are three things you should never talk about in polite company, money, religion, and politics. And I've never quite understood why these topics are taboo. I receive great pleasure from being transparent because I believe that the more we talk about money, religion, and politics, the better our world will become. So here goes nothing. Money. To many people, the most sensitive question you can ask is, how much money do you have? Personally, I don't understand why that question might bother someone. Why do people hide the very thing they work their entire lives to make? So in the spirit of full disclosure, I'll take the first step and tell you about every cent I currently have. As of this writing, January 2019, I have $950,000, $600,000 in cash, and $350,000 in investments in companies like Amazon, Tesla, and Apple, and in real estate holdings in Palestine, Sri Lanka, and the United States. Also, at this very moment, my wallet has 100 bucks in it. Also, I'm one of the cheapest people you'll ever meet. 
This wasn't easy to disclose, but it's necessary to make my point. Although my net worth has very little correlation to who I am, I have just decided to become financial. Money. To many people, the most sensitive question you can ask How much money do you have? Personally, I don't understand why that question might bother someone. Why do people hide the very thing they work their entire okay, lives? Okay, my doing? friends. So, in the spirit uh, of full disclosure, I'll take the first step and tell you about every cent I currently have. As of this writing, January 2019, uh, I have $950,000 in cash, $350,000 in investments. Also, okay, I'm one the of week. the cheapest people um, you'll ever meet. If this you like this kind of thing, disclose, but it's listening to audiobooks and maybe point. commenting Although and chatting about them very little together, to who I am, uh, go ahead and follow the cast to so that next time I, uh, and when millions more I go live, you can listen place. I thought a lot about the upsides and downsides of making this disclosure, and the upsides won. That's because there are countless benefits to being financially transparent. Here are the top three. One, if we all know how much the other person makes, the pay gap between men and women might not be as wide. Indeed, one of the reasons women get paid less than men is because they don't know that their male colleagues are getting more. Two. We all make better financial decisions with the help of friends, family, and advisors, and they can't help us if they don't know our financial status. I know this from personal experience. Three, everybody worries about money and that worry is usually bottled up. So the more we talk freely about our financial concerns, the more air we let out for our anxiety. Religion. Religion is yet another sensitive topic, but again, in the interest of transparency, okay, let's do this. Bye for now. I was born and raised Muslim. Growing